0: will pass them out. Raise your hand; they'll give you one. Uh, we're going to be um, we're going to be walking through First John chapter one this morning. First John chapter one. We started it uh, last week, and I want to resume First John chapter. People were saying, "Are you going to do a Father's Day message?" And I thought, "Well, I'll stay with the text and do a Father's Day message." And I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I still, I it kind of worked first service, and I have refined it second. By the time I get to third service, we're going to be firing off cylinders. So, First John chapter one. It's towards the end of the New Testament. It's not John. It's not the book of John. It's there's three epistles, three letters: First, Second, and Third John. They're tiny little epistles towards the back. First John chapter one. Let's turn off our cell phones and let's just shut those down. Come on now. All right, we got it. Turn them off. Three of them been going off, and and I, the next one, we, um, we're turning we're turning the switch, and every seat is wired, and when it goes off, you'll be electrocuted. I am. So, all right. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up um, to put it into context. We'll read the whole passage all the way through verse ten. First John chapter one, the Apostle John writes, and by the by the way, he's very old right now. He's probably in his nineties. He's writing this letter. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 is what they call the the, the, the soap of God, the, the Christian bar of soap. I'll repeat it, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John does not mince words. He is right to the point. I guess when you get older, you get... Ah, You get bold, wise, bold, (laughs) outspoken. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Lord, thank you for your word, and we do ask your blessing on the study of it. And Lord, I'm just so blessed by this apostle of love who at the last stages of his life, he spoke the truth in love, but he was firm, but he was also gentle. And there's just such a beauty about the words that the apostle John penned through your inspiration, Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, and we pray that you would bless and encourage and that we'd be forever changed from glory unto glory, that we would honor you and bless you. So thank you for your living word. Feed us now, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. You know, John was old by this time. They tried to boil him alive. He ends up on uh, the island of Patmos, and he ended up having a revelation from the Lord, writing the book of Revelation. And um, and he was the last living apostle, um, and and tradition says that when he would be brought into the church in Ephesus, and he was writing probably in Ephesus, when they would bring him into the church, um, the church would fall silent. Everyone would pack in because it'd be similar if I were saying Billy Graham's going to be at our church next week. Don't tell anybody. The place would be packed. It'd be standing room only uh, all the way out to the you know they they would be packed. Word would get out and uh, billy graham and parkinson's and and hand shaking and voice frail, uh, I remember when he was still in the midst of parkinson 's, and we were doing the crusade in San Jose. I had the chance to see him and um, you know uh, right up close and and um, and so here and it got his autograph, but i i wasn 't the one who got it. The person that I was working with got it for me, but um, people were silent waiting to hear him speak and and that's that 's how it was the place would fall silent they didn 't have um you know sound systems that would amplify the voice. And so it'd be deathly silent. The children would be stilled. Um, and, then, and then they'd bring him in on a stretcher, as tradition goes, and he'd lean up on, one, on his good arm, and, and they'd wait to hear what he had to say. And he would say, dear children, love one another. And then he'd rest, and they'd take him out. And you're like, I traveled 300 miles to hear him say, love one another? I mean, give me a break. Oh, wait a minute. This is the apostle that began his ministry by looking at the Lord and saying, you know, these people didn't honor us. Shall we call down fire on them? Let's nuke them. And now they call him the apostle of love. He would even declare of himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. He wrote it. Uh, Interesting. Um, It's like like Moses wrote, uh, Moses, the most humble man. Uh, Anyways, uh, But the idea is his is life was transformed. And, and the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And, and truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. There's a balance in it, right? And you get that with maturity. You get that with time. Um, and when we're young, we think we have all the answers, and if it, you know, we, we're just, and we're gonna rule the world and show everybody. And and then after a while, you just, you, you kind of get softened as you, you get blunted, uh, head-on objects, crashes, you know, collisions, and you soften a little bit, and y- and you learn to work in the world in which you live, and and um, you don't change your convictions, but you you tend to listen a little bit more than you you speak, and and all of a sudden, you, you know, you, love characterizes who you are, and that's what happened with John. He was softened. But I'll tell you what, when he was confronted with heresy, he didn't have any tolerance for it. Tolerance. Love that word, don't we? I, I used it the other day at Trader Joe's, remember? Uh, okay, maybe he didn't, but uh, th- this, this concept of tolerance. Let me, let me tell you, truth is, never, truth is never tolerant of a lie. And a lie is never tolerant of the truth. We're going to come into conflict with one another. We're going we're to hit uh, and and you need to work it out. And and but here, John, the church is being inundated with her, with, with what are called Gnostics, Gnostics. And uh, these are folks that have a deeper knowledge of the things of God. And they were, they were trying to, you know, well, <clears throat> yeah, yes, I understand salvation by grace, not by works. This is lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. And that's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so happy for you. But there's something you're missing. You see, there's a deeper aspect to this Christian walk that Calvary chapels began. And they've started with you. But you, if you really want to be a walking with the Lord, there's something deeper, deeper that you need to be a part of. You know, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they would they would entice you by, you know, the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up. And and that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be stupid. That just means we're not to be too impressed with ourselves. You know, I remember uh, reading a book, and I was impressed by the author. And I, I called, and I said, would you send me their teaching tapes on the book of Romans? And they said, um, well, he hasn't finished the book of Romans yet. I said, well, just send me what he has. Well, he's, he's through chapter 9. I said, oh, great, how many cassettes is it? he says, you "No." Know, first he says, I don't know if you really want me to send all that. And I said, why? How many is it? It was like over 125. I'm thinking, you, you, it, it's taking 125 teachings to get to Romans 9? I mean, we're, you're very impressed with yourself. I remember one time John Corson was teaching through the book of, of, of uh, the Psalms. I'm teaching Psalms. And uh, he was doing it on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights, I forget. And Chuck asked him to do it at Costa Mesa. And, and Chuck came to him and he says, John, you need to teach more than just one psalm a night. You need to teach six or seven. He says, if, if I teach that many psalms, I'm just going to be reading the Bible. And Chuck goes, and the problem with that is? <laughs> I mean, we really, we've, we're impressed with ourselves. We're impressed with ourselves. And, and yet, there's also this vigilance that we need to be aware of. And so, so John was simplistic, but he was also vigilant. And so when he writes in this, he's dealing with two camps of the Gnostics. One group of Gnostics were saying that the spirit is separated from the body. So you can be licentious and you can be involved in adultery and fornication and alcoholism and all that stuff because that's the body and it's separated from the spirit. And that's not really who I am. This is who I am. And so they, were, they would engage in these things and they would say, well, we're separated. The two are separate. I still walk in purity. I declare myself to be a Christian, but my body does this and it's okay. Some of you are going, oh, where's that camp? I'm all in. I'll sign up for that Christianity. Well, trust me, most of America has. The other camp was that, that uh, you, you, you could, you could, uh, you could uh, obtain in your lifetime this, this concept of sinlessness. You could obtain perfection. That, that you would rise to this superhuman accomplishment that you would walk in sinless perfection. And, and John looks at both of them and he goes, mm, no. You see, verses 5 through 7, he deals with the folks that are really into the, the, the separation of the spirit and the body. And, and, and they're, they're, they're in active sin. And he says, this is the message, verse 5, which we have heard from Jesus and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so John looks at him and he looks at these Gnostics. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, we're liars and we don't practice the truth. Okay? Is that clear enough for you? These Gnostics are not aligned with the gospel and the orthodoxy of Christianity. I can't make it any clearer. You don't, you don't practice darkness and declare that you're walking in light. It doesn't work that way. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ the son cleanses us from all sin. I, I share that with you because I was, I was moved this week by an article, and uh, I had it printed out. I'll just—I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to give you a synopsis of it. Um, <clears throat> there was a there was a basketball player. His name's Jason Collins, and um, he's the the first person in a major um, sports team, whether it be the NBA, NFL, um, uh, Major League Baseball, MLB, uh, he's uh, the, or the NBA. He's the first professional athlete to come out of the closet to declare himself to be. A homosexual, and, and for two things I want to share with that. This is an issue of, of homosexuality. That's that's neither here nor there. I, I want to address that because some people, oh, you're bashing. Oh, back off. Here, here's here's my point. My point is this. My point is this. When he came to declare that he was coming out, you know where that term "coming out" came from. Coming out, we, people say coming out of the closet coming out or they've been, this is another term they use, they've been outed where they didn't want to come out, but somebody outed them. The term came from the Scottish Covenanters. Yeah, yeah, everything comes from Scottish Covenanters, but everything good, but I'm just, no, it's like my big fat Greek wedding, every word is associated with the Greek word. I'll just show you. But this is true, Scottish Covenanters, it, it, it happened during the time of what they called uh, the, the, the killing fields, or the killing times. And it was done um, in the grass market in Edinburgh. And when the Church of England had declared that they are going to override the Church of Scotland and that the king would be the supreme authority over the church, the Church of Scotland during the Reformation looked and said, there's only one king over the church, and that's Jesus Christ. The state will not tell the church what to do. The church can tell the state what to do, but the state can't tell the church what to do. The state cannot be in charge of the church. As a matter of fact, every atrocity in Christendom in the history of, of the world, every atrocity of Christendom, whether it be the Inquisition or the Crusades, all happened all happened when the state started to dictate how the church operates. I just want you to know that. But when, when, when the church dictates to the state, then there's a balance in there, and that's why our founding fathers understood the First Amendment. They understood this concept of freedom of religion, that Congress shall make no law. And these covenanters stood their ground, and, and it w- they were declared to be treasonous. And so, based on this treason, they put out a hit on on all these covenanters. And eighteen thousand of them were either uh, burned at the stake or they were hung, uh, and they were all killed in this grass market in front of everybody. And and so they began to meet in secret. And the pastors, you know, they would they would wear a hood so that you, you know, and they would change their voice when they would speak, and they would still preach the gospel verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And, and they would continue to hold to the things of Christ, but they were being persecuted. And what would happen is they would send in these spies from the Church of England that would sit in these, these secretive meetings, in these church meetings, and they would out the congregants and they would out the pastors to the Church of England. And after they'd been outed, they would be crucified or they'd be hung or they'd be burned. That's where the term outed came from yeah, expose them and then kill them. And it's interesting that that term today is used uh, to, to come out. They've, there's even another term that used to be a very strong Christian term. It's the word faggot. It used to be a really strong Christian term. Some of you are going, oh, why is he saying faggot? It means burning sticks. It's a burning stick. Faggots are a bunch of burning sticks. I remember a pastor when I was, I, I was preaching, he was an older man, and he, he, he came out, and he said in, in the congregation, it was packed, he said, our youth in the church need to be on fire for Jesus like a bunch of flaming faggots. <laughs> You're laughing. He was old school, and he meant every word of it, and he wondered why everyone was laughing. Because the term had been Stolen. Because they're on fire for their, their concepts, their desires. I, I tell you, all that's been ascribed to 3 to, to 5% of, of the American population is because they're passionate about it. We're apathetic. We're not, we have no worries about being outed. We don't want anyone to even know. We, this idea of being on fire for the Lord. If you're being put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you of such? I mean, even when we look at, at the, the rainbow, this is a promise from God. That's been used. They understand these concepts and these terms. And so when, when Jason Collins comes out and he declares that, that he's coming out as a homosexual in a, in a major, you know, uh, sports program in the United States, everybody started to, you know, applaud. One guy, his name, this, this one guy's name is Chris Broussard. He is a commentator for ESPN. And, and he said, I don't have I don't take an exception that 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 Jason Collins is a homosexual. That's not an issue to me. He says, I don't even take issue, you know, that, that he's a basketball player. I played basketball. He just says that's not the issue. The issue is that Jason Collins says, I'm a homosexual and I'm a practicing homosexual and I'm a Christian. At what point Chris Broussard said, That doesn't work. Heterosexual homosexual engaged in in fornication or adultery is contrary to the teachings of Christ, and that doesn't work. That doesn't add up. He's teaching, he is, he's clearly declaring, verses 5 through 7, that, that if we say we have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And, and Chris Broussard was saying, it doesn't work. That's, you can't do that. You can't say this and do this. You can't walk in active sin and declare yourself to be a follower of Christ. It doesn't work. And Chris Broussard, I'll tell you what, that guy's getting butchered. I'd be surprised if he still has a job. He's getting obliterated by the media. But that's the concept. And he's standing on it. And he was on national television. He knew he was going to lose his job. But none of those things moved him. He just declared it to be true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so as he said this, this is that concept of that realm of Gnosticism. You can't separate the two. You tell me you're a Christian, there's going to be fruit. There's not going to be known sin. You don't practice and walk in known sin and declare yourself to be a Christian. Oftentimes, you know, you'll know, you get, as a pastor, you get someone going, Pastor, if I, if I leave my wife, am I still going to heaven? First of all, wrong question. You're, you're kind of saying, uh, do I have my get out of hell free card? Can I still do what I want to do and still go to heaven? You are so off base. You're, you're, not, you're not walking in the light. You're, you're not even looking at any of these things. It's all about you. I look at him, I say, okay, well, first of all, where are your kids going to spend Christmas and Easter? Your house? or And are you, how are you going to feel when they call another man dad? And what about the scripture that says God hates divorce? Oh, you, yeah, but she's not the woman I married. Why? God entrusted you as a steward over her life. That's his daughter. What did you do to screw it all up? Oh, I can't believe that you're telling me that I... Don't be upset with me. You're the one who's wanting to do this. And the, and the burden. And so, this idea of, of saying one thing and doing another. You know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul said, Those things that I want to do, I don't do those. Those things I don't want to do, those I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Apostle Paul began his ministry by saying, I am a sinner. That's a pretty good confession. I'm a sinner. He ended his ministry in 2 Timothy by saying, I am the chief of sinners. You'd think he would have improved, right? (laughs) Let me tell you, on your best day, on my best day, I have more in common with Adolf Hitler than I do with Jesus Christ. There is no corner on the market of morality in this room. No, there isn't. You're not any more special than anyone else. You see, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Now, a lot of folks who are in engaging in sin, who are in the church, love to hear that because they want to engage in sin and say, well, you know, praise the Lord, grace. God doesn't give us grace so we can see how close we get to the edge. The Apostle Paul said, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? And he declares, by no means. He gives us grace so that we can back away. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I'll give you an example of verses five through seven. When he says, if we say we have fellowship with the Lord, fellowship means an, a, a oneness. When the Bible says that in Genesis, that the, the, the man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and they were naked and unashamed. It's not talking about their bedroom. It's this idea of everything. There was an intimacy. There was, there was a fellowship. There was a connection. I know you. I know you. My best friend on the face of the earth is my wife, Michelle. And I remember I was in seminary and I was having some struggles and it was awful. I'd ruptured some discs in my back and I was fully addicted to pain medication. I'd get a 90-day supply and I'd use it in two and a half weeks. I'd take them by the handfuls and chew them and mix it with stuff and I was just baked. And my wife, bless her heart, she was new to this world of drugs and she just, he's tired all the time. Doesn't take long for somebody to wise up. And I remember over that period of time, I I, I sat with um, Rick Warren. So for those of you who want to write off Rick Warren, I just want you to know he had a huge role in my life. Some of you are going, well, I'm going to have to find a new church. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> anyways. Rick Warren uh, spoke to the seminary students, there's about 15 of us, I think, and and um, and we sat down and, and he taught out of 1 John, out of this passage, where it says, if we say we have fellowship with the Lord and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and it goes on to say later, and confess our sins one to another. And, and he said, not confession unto salvation, because... You've been saved. It's confession under restoration and fellowship. It's about fellowship. It's about intimacy. And he said, yeah, yeah, God's forgiven you, and he's cast your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And he says, I agree with that concept. He said, but here's my question to you. And he looked at all the seminary students. He says, does anyone know who you really are? And he was talking about his, his eating problems and the like and, 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 you know, some of his addictions. And he says, does, does anyone know who you really are? Is there anyone on the earth who knows you completely and can declare before the Father that you are a work in progress, or is there still an area of your life that's hidden from the rest of the world? And he's preaching this, and I'm going, who told him? <laughs> and how did they tell him since I didn't tell him? And I was, it, the conviction was overwhelming. You see, for months, I'd been hiding it here and hiding it there and hiding it there, and, and, and I, was, I was struggling with it. And the conviction. And the Bible says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And I remember at that moment just thinking, Lord, all this time, and you've been gracious to me. I just want to tell dads right now, when you get angry with your kids and you're disciplining in anger, and the strikes are getting a little harder, has the Father ever treated you like that? I know the answer to that. Because I've been where you are. And the answer is a resounding no. Now, he, he calls me out and he chastens me and he loves me, but the way he does it is so gentle and unbelievable. I, it, his kindness leads me to repentance. And I remember being so convicted by his word. By the way, the Bible's the only book in the world. We don't read it. It reads us. It's that mirror that we look into, as, as it says in James. And I told you about the picture, the 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 master photographer who took my picture with me and Michelle. And it was in Alam alum rock park, and the light was beaming through my blonde hair. And it did halo. I mean, it reflected my soul. It was so <laughs> amazing. And that picture's stunning. We have it on the wall for everyone to see. And, and I, I remember I had to go get a new passport, and I got passport photos at Kinko's. And I opened up the thing, and I looked at it. <laughs> I, I got somebody else's pictures here. And I'm looking, and I go, that can't be me. This is awful. Holding it up to the picture in the house and going, "And no, that isn't me." That, this is the, hmm. And then looking in the mirror and holding up the passport photo. Started this this chant. "U you ain't got no alibi, you ugly." Yeah, yeah, you ugly. And And that's that's what the apostle Paul says about the word of God. It reveals us. It's a it's a mirror. It's a mirror. Now, if you avail yourself, now I can uh, listen, listen. I can exchange a truth for a lie and deceive myself. I can look in the mirror like somebody with anorexia or bulimia, and the mirror saying one thing, but I'm I'm saying something else. Oh, you're fat. You're ugly. Well, wait a minute. You, you're about to die. You're so skinny, and you've deceived yourself. You're listening not to the words of God. You're not listening to that which is true and pure and lovely. You're not dwelling on those things. You're dwelling on what you've read in magazines and heard from your, your parents and all the, the lies and the distortions. And, and you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you're looking in a mirror and you're deceived. You walk away and forget what you look like. But if we open the Word of God and allow it to read us, it's honest. It's honest and says, This is sin. It's not a lifestyle choice, it's a sin. Yeah, it's not a choice, it's a baby. And so with that, we, we come to a place where we have to deal with it. And 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 I was convicted by it. I was convicted after being with Rick Warren. I went to my wife and I, I, it was one of the hardest conversations. I sat with her and I just said, honey, I I got to tell you a few things. I wouldn't be surprised if you want to leave. And I said, "This is this is what I've been doing. This is where I hide it. This is what I... I, this is how I act when I'm on it this is how I get it I, I and let me tell you something you know why he says walk in the light as he's in the light fungus doesn't grow in the dark I mean excuse me fungus only grows in the dark fungus only grows in the dark so when you bring fungus into the light it dies you get it I'll tell you what you guys could walk in purity if you had somebody with you and he said this is what I'm like when I'm on it this is where I get it right And before I started to tell her where I hid it, she goes, I already know where it is. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, it's up there. It's over there. It's in here. How'd you know? She said, I've known for months. Why didn't she say anything? She said, because the Lord's better at bringing conviction than I am. (laughs) I got to tell you something. That was kindness. She'd been living miserable life while I was engaged in that mess. And she would be interceding at the throne of grace and praying for me when God changes you, he does a good job, right? I'd like to say that it goes away and you never have to deal with it again. It rears its ugly head when you walk in darkness. All you got to do to let sin get a foothold is just keep a secret. And it ruins intimacy. You're you're hindered from the Father because you're walking in darkness and you're declaring that you love him. There's no connection with the Lord. You feel distant from God. Guess what? He didn't move. You did. It was it was Adam and Eve who were walking and hiding themselves with fig leaves. Like that's gonna work. And God said, Where are you? It's not like God didn't know where they were. God wanted them to say, We're hiding from you because we've sinned. Confess it. Confession is so helpful. And 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 this idea you have to admit it's sin. You gotta, you gotta agree with the Lord on this one, and then, and then the reverse is true too. There's some of you in this room. You walk around with a moral superiority, and I don't, I, th- I don't think there's any left. I think I've preached the church clear of that, but I, there used to be. <laughs> but this idea of moral superiority, where, you know, I'm saved and you're not. Yes, yes. And I'll speak of Jason Collins. You're going, oh my goodness, a homosexual. That is so awful. That's just disgusting. And and as you're. As you're looking at the at the splinter in his eye, there's a big old plank, and we're going, where are you? I mean, homosexuality is such an easy sin to pick on in the body of Christ, and we can we can pinpoint him and alienate him and go to town on him. But what about gluttony? What about deception? What about compromise? On our watch, 70 million children have been aborted. Has anyone ever stood in front of an abortion clinic? And I'm not saying that to bring condemnation. I'm saying observe yourself. Because as Paul, excuse me, as John says in verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. For those of you going, you know, I have obtained spiritual enlightenment. I am without sin. No, you aren't. No, yes, I am. No, you aren't. Yes, I am. I've I've met people like that. I I don't sin anymore. (gasps) Really? How 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 is that? I've I've obtained spiritual perfection. (laughs) Paul says in Philippians three, this is Paul, by the way. And I say this to the folks that have obtained spiritual perfection. Paul says, brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of spiritual perfection yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize upward of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, I forget what's behind, I keep short accounts with God, I ask for forgiveness, I, I repent of it, I confess it, and then I move on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I started as a sinner, and now, as I'm writing to Timothy, my disciple, and I'm going to be killed in less than a month, I just want him to know I'm the chief of sinners, And so, for all of you who've obtained spiritual perfection, why don't you take that up with Paul? Because you're a liar. I didn't say that. The word of God did. Don't be upset with me, I'm the messenger. Well, get upset with me, it doesn't matter. And by the way, God's word isn't in you. Doesn't work that way. There's, There's no such thing as spiritual perfection. And it's a it's a delicate balance. It's a very delicate balance because as you look at the passage, when it says, verse 9, and we look at the, the, the soap of God, the Christian soap bar, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love that word, if, if. By the way, confession is an act of your will. I can't do it for you. When you're confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. You can blame others, make excuses, or you can repent. Repent means change. You agree with God and you turn from your sin. Repent is 180 degrees. I'm walking away from God and I turn and I embrace the cross. Excuse my back, but that's what we're looking at. You can blame others. I mean, that was Garden of Eden. Where are you? Um, We're hiding. Why? Um, The serpent. He made me eat the apple. (laughs) Adam, why'd you eat it? The woman that you gave me. Her fault and your fault. His fault. But not my fault. Let me tell you what confession is. Well, The word if is an act of the will. God's not going to force it on you. I had to come to a place where I wanted Michelle to know. God already did. And by the way, God already knows. Quit living a lie. I'll tell you what, the world is sick of hypocrites. I remember during the Victorian era in England when the Methodists were really taking root and and the gospel was being spread all throughout the the British Empire. And there was a move of the Methodists and this this idea with William Wilberforce and the transformation of mankind. And and this charismatic Methodist movement was taking root in all of England, but it was going through the working class. And the Church of England, this high church, was more of the aristocratic realm, but this this what they would call low church was taking root and it 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 was transforming culture. And slavery was being ended, the poor were being cared for, orphans were being, you know, that's when you had George Mueller and all these things happening in Victoria, England. And there was a story about a a man that was a Methodist and he was a laborer in a shipyard and he was stealing the brass nails from the owner and he would sell them because they're profitable and he was increasing his salary. And finally, hearing out of 1 John, he was so convicted by the message that he went and confessed this sin to the pastor. And the pastor said, you need to go and tell the boss, you need to make restitution, you need to make it right, you need to repent, you need to change. He says, "He's going to fire me? He says, so be it. The reason why I share this is because that story convicted me when I'd heard it and Greg Laurie preached it. And I remember being a single guy and I was working for Helene Curtis and I heard this story and it, it just moved me. And, and the man with, that had stolen the brass nails went to the boss and he said, I've stolen brass nails. I know you want to fire me. He said, if you keep me employed, I'll, I'll pay restitution. I'll pay him back. He says, and I know that I've been telling you about Jesus and I've been witnessing to you and, and now I'm, I'm an absolute hypocrite and I've ruined my testimony, but I can't steal from you because it convicts me and I, I know I'm wrong and I, I ask for your forgiveness. At what point the owner said, you know, I always knew you to be a hypocrite and I always rejected your claims of Christ because they nauseated me. And I already knew about the brass nails. He says, but for the first time in my life, I am moved to examine the claims of Christ because of your humility. I had been witnessing to a man named Dave, Dave Cruson, My wife can testify to this. Dave Cruson. And I'd been telling him about the Lord, and, and he was my boss at Helene Curtis. And, and I'd gotten an expense report, and, and I was a young salesman, and, you know, was writing this off and writing that off. And after a while, as I heard Greg Laurie share this message, I realized I have justified expenses that aren't legitimate, and I'm basically stealing from the company. By this time, I'm sure all of you are ready to leave the church, and I'm good with it, but <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's just do it. We'll just make it easier. If you're without sin, go ahead and hit me with that stone that you brought in. Okay, good. Let's move on. <laughs> so, so, with, so with this, I was convicted by that story, and I went up, and Tim Weeks was one of the assistant pastors on staff, and I, it was after, in the afterglow, and I came up, and I confessed. And I said, you know, I've been stealing, and I, I just feel bad. And he goes, you got to tell your boss. I said, I'll get fired. And he says, you know what? It's better to be right with the Lord. I said, yeah. And he said, why don't you tell me next week how when? I said, well, and I prayed over it, and I had been telling Dave Cruson about the Lord, and I was just—I was so embarrassed. And I—I I went and sat with Dave on a sales trip, and I just said, i, I got to tell you something." I put out my sales books, and I put the keys in my car, and I said, "You're probably going to want these." I just said, "I've been cheating on my expense report, and and I—I'm—I'm I'm guilty. I'll pay it back, but and I tried to calculate what I'd done. At what point he says, "Rob, everybody does." He said, "Don't rock the boat. Don't say." It. I said, "Dave, I got to." He goes, oh, "I got to do it too, you know." We ended up letting the, the boss know and resolved it. And he just said, Rob, I appreciate your honesty. Dave and Jan Cruson both came to the Lord. And, and Michelle and I were supported by them early on in the ministry. His heart was turned towards Christ as a result of that confession. It, it was exactly like the story that, that Greg Laurie had taught. I was moved by it. Listen, God will always honor the truth. He will always honor The truth. You know why? Because he is the truth. When you walk in the light as he's in the light and confess your sins one to another, under restoration, there's a fellowship where we can trust one another. We're all hypocrites. We're all sinners. We don't corner the market on morality. The only good thing you brought in here this morning is Jesus. And on your best day, your works are filthy rags, blood-laden, pus-filled, leprosy, skin-chewed-up, filthy rags. That's the scripture, that's not me. On your best day, you have more in common with Adolf Hitler than you do with Jesus Christ. And so why wouldn't we confess our sins? Why do we want to drag our sorry selves in here? Let's bring less of us and more Jesus. And you walk in that light, you confess your sins. I gotta tell you something about this. In the confession of sins, those confessions of sins, you, you, you get to a place where you understand we've all sinned. He says, if we, if we, we have all sinned. We're all in this boat together. And this idea of confess, that we, we admit we're wrong. We admit we're wrong. And that we've transgressed. And that's what the word sin means. And, and you know, look, so you struggle with the term sin, let me. If you have a problem with that because of how you're raised in the church, let me fix it for you. If any of you in this room isn't perfect. If anyone in the room has offended somebody or done something wrong. Okay? Is that better for you? Is it, did I get the sugar in there and you can eat it now? Is it okay? Come on. Are we so thick skinned that we can't observe our life? Look in the mirror. We're in this together. Yeah, thank you, sister. Anyone else? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you confess and you admit you're wrong. And I got to tell you, I have, I, in my years, 48 years on this earth, I'm no wise old owl. I was born at night, but not last night, right? Here's, here's the picture. I have met people in my lifetime, you, you struggle with this, and, and I struggle with it too, and the Lord is, has worked in my life, it's by his grace, and it's available to you. And this is what you do. You have a problem with this. You have a problem saying, I am wrong. You, you can't admit failure. Why? Was it your dad? Is it been ingrained in you that you struggle by saying, I was wrong, will you forgive me? The baby knows. <laughs> I am wrong or I am wrong or I was wrong and, and let me tell you what a confession isn't yeah I blew it but doesn't work that way I blew it but but is a disassociative conjunctive I blew it but I really didn't blow it let me tell you really what I feel it's okay I'm sorry sweetie did I did I do it I, you say this idea, you say, I blew it, but it didn't work that way. I did that, but had you not done it, I wouldn't have. So basically, it's your fault. When confronted with sin, do one of three things, blame others, make excuses, repent. I wouldn't have done it had you not. That's not a confession. That's not a confession. Let me help you with a confession. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I am sorry. Don't condition it. Don't put a butt in there. Don't wait for them to respond. Clean up your side of the street. Own it. Confess your sin, your failure. Don't confess it after. Don't meet them halfway. Just get your slate clean. The rest is up to them. They got to clean up their side of the street. That's before them and the Lord. Make it right. Confession is so healthy. Admit you're wrong. Take personal responsibility for it. Quit blaming your mother and your father. Own up. Grow up. Serious. It's nobody else's fault. You did it. Own it. Hey, Okay. And if you admit it and you take responsibility for it, an act of your own free will, if you do that, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. And you receive that promise that he'll forgive you. He shows you that forgiveness. He cleanses you in that forgiveness. He purifies you. He removes the sin and the guilt and the defilement. And you know what? He says it's available to all. 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 Word in the Greek means all. (laughs) If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar. His word's not in us. The world's not impressed with your legalism. It isn't. Your nose is so high in the sky that nobody wants to be around you. We've given a black eye to Christianity. The world looks at us and they see it. They just want us to walk in the truth. You know, one of the greatest things that have helped me as a parent, as a father, and my kids will testify to this. You can ask them. You go and ask them. When I turn to my kids and I say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. I would like to say that I'm perfect. My Savior's perfect. And it was John Newton at the end of his life. He's the one who wrote Amazing Grace. He was the one who discipled William Wilberforce, who ended slavery by the Lord in England and the British Empire. John Newton, powerful. He's a slave trader, came to Christ, wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader, he wrote the words, but it says the melody is unknown, but the melody is a West African slave chant. It's all done on the minor keys, because he would hear the Africans in the bottom of the ship moaning in sorrow. And that song never left his mind. He penned the words, and so whenever human being hears it, black, white, brown, we're all moved by it, because it pierces the human soul of sorrow and forgiveness. And repentance, all wrapped into a beautiful song that is the national anthem of the spiritual side of all of the body of Christ. And John Newton, when he was getting old, he couldn't remember things and he was forgetting in his sermons. Some of the folks that went to this last pastor's conference talked about Pastor Chuck. He's frail. There was one guy standing behind Pastor Chuck as he was preaching and his sole purpose was if Chuck started to fall, he'd catch him. And Chuck would ramble. But you know, that's all right. You're patient at that stage in somebody's life. If you're not, you need to be. I talk every night to Dr. Curley on the phone. She'll repeat herself a thousand times. In the midst of it, this nugget will come out that is such a gift from God. Teaches me patience. We need a lot more of that. But John Newton, as he was growing frail and he had become blind, He says, I've forgotten a lot. He says, but there's two things I still know. I'm a great sinner, and the Lord is a great Savior. On your best day, you have more in common with Adolf Hitler than you do with Jesus Christ. I know that hurts some of you, because you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. The only good thing in you is Jesus less of us more of him how do we get that we confess our sins we walk in the light we kill the fungus and we embrace our savior and we keep short accounts and we clean up our side of the street and we own it we don't hide it we don't disguise it we own it and we let it die in the light and that'll do wonders for the church and for the lost because it'll be drawn to your life it's a life of honesty and they'll admire your humility. You don't have to be something you're not. Just let, Je- just let Jesus be everything he is. Amen? I'm finished with the sermon, but as I'm, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They probably heard me. Where, oh, there they Denny. I want to tell you a story about Father's Day. It's one of my favorites. Some of you heard it, but it's one of my favorites. I'm wearing my dad's cufflinks, Navy cufflinks. I can't call him and wish him a happy Father's Day. He wouldn't know. He's in a rest home. He's got Alzheimer's. My mom passed away in 2011, I think. And she shared with me a story. When I had dropped out of Tulane University, I didn't drop out, but I left. I wasn't going to go back. And I didn't bring much of transcripts with me. I was a swimmer, and I, I just, I want to come back to California and hang out with my girlfriend and surf and live in the house in Coronado. And I I came home, and I was getting ready to go drive and meet my girlfriend. I said, Dad, where's my car? He said, I sold it. I'm like, you sold my car? He says, yeah, I'd pay my phone bill that you ran up. I'm like, man, what kind of a dad are you? And uh, I said, well, how am I going to get to Mesa College, Dad? I don't have a car. The bus doesn't go to Mesa. He says, you're going to go to San Diego City. I go, San Diego City College, that's in the inner city, Dad. It's by the rescue missions. I'm going to get beat up. There's drug dealers. I take the bus, Dad. It's it's a seven-block walk to the school, and I have to pass every nightmare place in downtown San Diego. I'm going to be dead, and my blood's going to be on your hands. My dad knew that I needed to have a change, that I'd been raised with a silver spoon, and there was no discipline in my life, and I was losing traction quickly. He said, Well, you're going to do that. I said, Well, I'm going to enlist. He says, You can enlist, but you have to move out of the house because no son of mine is going to live here who's not getting a college degree. He lives in Coronado, so I figured, Well, I'll give it a shot. And sure enough, I took the bus and I'd walk the seven blocks, and people would offer me drugs and prostitutes. Hey, handsome. And it was, you know, it was awful. I knew they were lying. And, and, you know, sure enough, I, I got through a semester there and got a job and raised money, got my own car, learned the value of a dollar, and got, got rearranged. And it was a really great time of coming to know the Lord, and the process of it. My dad wasn't a believer. And my mom was dying, and this is what I leave you with. My mom was dying, and she said, Rob, I want to tell you a story. I said, yeah, what is it, Mom? She said, you know when you gave your dad a hard time and that you were going to die and you had to walk the seven blocks? I said, yeah. She says, do you know what that did to him? I said, no, what? She said, do you know that he followed that bus for three months? to make sure you were okay. And I'm like, good. No, I didn't. I didn't. I have an earthly father, and he didn't know the Lord till later in life, but I want to tell you something. You have a heavenly father. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is with you every step of the way, and he's watching over you. And he loves you. I don't care if you had a good earthly father or a bad one. You got a great heavenly father. Quit making excuses. Let's walk with him. He is the Father of light, and we're going to walk in that light because we're His kids. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and worship Him. Happy Father's Day, fellas.